Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. The scripture reading this morning is a familiar one to those who love and read the Bible. It is a portion of Psalm 139. This psalm has that paragraph about the constant and universal companionship of God Where can I flee from your presence, the psalmist asked. If I go up to heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. And then there is a paragraph often quoted about our individual uniqueness. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a psalm of David, so you expect eloquence. Something else you should also expect from David is a bit of fury. He's the poet poet warrior after all, and David is never shy about showing his emotion, his disdain for his enemies, the wicked and the deceitful he cannot abide. He is often asking God just to go ahead and bash in the noggins of those that... uh, He cannot stand. And even here in Psalm 139, he lurches from beautiful poetry to violent prose. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies." There's a whole world going on in this one single psalm. The small subsection that I would have us to look at this morning is the beginning and the end. Verses 1 through 6, verses 23 and 24. This is the contemporary English version and the ring of it I like so well. I will not attempt to do it this morning in Anna's British accent for she reprimanded me this week and said, that I still required a little practice. David says this, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I am resting or when I am working, and from heaven you discover my thoughts. You notice everything I do, everywhere I go. Before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. And with your powerful arm, you protect me from every side. I can't understand all of this. Such wonderful knowledge is far above me. Look deep into my heart, God, and find out everything I am thinking. Don't let me follow evil ways, but lead me in the way that time has proven true. The Word of God for the people of God. This winter, I have been very busy at the Rusty Goat. For those of you who may not know what that is, Cindy and I bought through our nonprofit, Renew, 
an eight-acre farm in Ponce de Leon that we are attempting to shape into a retreat center. And it will be a refuge for the weary, the recovering, the grieving, the wounded. They will be able to come to this place, spend a few days, maybe even a few weeks, at no cost, and simply be. Soldiers with PTSD, ministers who feel like they're washed out and ready to quit. I'm going to book a room real soon. Uh, Families with special needs, children, those who need respite, who need reprieve. I'm especially inspired when I think about that place by Eugene Peterson's translation of the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn to live freely and lightly. It's a beautiful turn of phrase that Eugene Peterson uses. Already we have had a few special events on site, and while the farmhouse itself isn't ready for prime time just yet, a half dozen families have already enjoyed retreats here at the beach and in the North Georgia mountains in the name and sponsorship of the Rusty Goat. And it's been very gratifying to see how intentional retreat and rest has reinvigorated and helped folks who have been through so much. It's a real labor of love for us, and this morning I'd like to emphasize the labor part. Y'all, it is work, let me tell you. It's work because we have to pay for it, of course. The budget is always tight. A friend of the rusty goat stroked the first check to buy the place, and we are on a payback plan. And if he's watching today, I'm assuring you, we're on a payback plan. In 18 months, we've had 33 partners join us in giving 6000 or more toward the rusty goat. We're a third of the way there for our overall goal to pay for all the renovations, retire all the debt. And I'd like to thank all of you who have been generous. And without some special volunteers, we wouldn't be as far along as we are. Some of those folks attend here or online. Kevin Allen, Ansley Euler, who should have a room named after her. Joanne Mathis, Jim Mathis, Tim Riles, Lang and Sherry Beavis, Peter Salame. They have all done a lot of the work. And did I tell you that it is work? I've rediscovered something in the last 18 months. Rediscovered. It's not new. I'll explain. I bought my first house in Adairsville, Georgia in the spring of 1994, 30 years ago now. My God. I paid a whopping $40,000 for it. Two bedrooms, one bath, 900 square feet on two acres in the woods with a church rock driveway a mile and a half long. I would sometimes have to go up on the roof And some of you have no idea what this means. I would have to go up on the roof to turn the antenna to get the station that I wanted. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If Atlanta was on the blitz, you'd have to go up there and turn it toward Chattanooga. And there was always a big game where the the antenna had to be turned. And I actually survived a fall from that roof on a cold night, January 1st, 1995, trying to fine-tune the antenna in order to watch the Nebraska-Miami game as they played for the NCAA College Football Championship in the Orange Bowl, a game that Nebraska won that Garrett McHugh even now is celebrating, but Garrett McHugh was probably four years old at the time. 
that house was about 50 years old when I bought it. And when it was inspected, a casual inspection revealed no pressing issues. Foundation, check. Roof, check. Electrical, check. But then when you start updating stuff, discoveries are made. You know, maybe that three-inch pink ceramic tile should be replaced in the bathroom. Maybe the Harvest Gold linoleum could be updated too. And what about that avocado green countertop and backsplash? And that brown paneling in the bedrooms just makes everything so dark. Let's replace it. And these wall heaters, they're dangerous. Let's get central heat and air, maybe. And the 24-year-old me said, shoot, no problem. And it wasn't until you tear away that first piece of paneling or you start the demo of the kitchen and then you realize that things are not at all as they appear. Deep within the walls and up in the attic and beneath the subfloors and lurking behind electrical panels, there is disaster at every turn. And you begin to wonder who built or added on to this house originally because I would like to kill them. I learned this as a young man. I am relearning it now as a man twice the age I was then. At the Rusty Goat, everywhere I drive a nail, every time I pull out a light fixture, every piece of bathtub hardware I go to replace, it ends up with me in earnest prayer, prayers for forgiveness. I have to ask God to forgive me for what I've just said and for wanting the place to burn down so that I could start from scratch. Now, here is a hard and fast rule if you start a renovation project, if you're doing the work yourself, or if you hire someone. Are you ready? Got your pencils out? Take this note. It will take you longer than you planned. It will cost more money than you budgeted. Right? It will lead to other renovations and necessary updates that you did not anticipate. And it will be more difficult than you first thought. Because once you dive deep with the idea of seeing what is down there, once you start pulling away the veneer, and you start crawling about above and poking at what is behind the sheetrock, all bets and all expectations are off. I'm not going to embarrass Kevin Allen, but he has been a gift to me in recent weeks. He started attending here several months ago. How and why is his story to tell, but it's a good one. He says to me one Sunday, I'm an electrician. I could lend you a hand. And that might be his greatest statement of regret in the history of his life. Because those hard and fast rules about renovations have just been beating his brains out for the last few weeks. Working with him, I quit counting how many times he's been trying to figure out the witchcraft of this electrical circuitry in this old house, and he'll just step back away and say, huh. And then I say, huh, that's what I've been saying for a long time. I'm glad you're here. I keep saying, I'm glad you're here. And then sometimes when he encounters a problem that's really intense, he'll say this, oh, Ronnie, this is just very unfortunate. (laughs) 
And he says it with such. And my son Braden has been working some with Kevin too. And now Kevin's phrase, and we've taken it home to our house. Like if a football game doesn't turn out the way we want it to or the traffic's backing up, Braden will look at me and he'll say, Oh, Ronnie, <laughs> this is very unfortunate. <laughs> but you don't have to have a, a fixer-upper to experience this kind of misfortune or hard realization. I bet some of you have taken a job, and maybe you even thought it was your dream job, and you smoked that interview. And you got there the first day, and by the end of the first month, maybe the end of the first week, you discovered that this job was not at all what you had been sold. Ever been there? It's a disaster, a rolling dumpster fire of dysfunction. Nobody told you about the employee issues or the strapped finances or who you would actually be reporting to or supervising until you were actually there and actually peeling back some of the wallpaper, so to speak. Or maybe you bought a business or took on a partner thinking, this is going to work out great. Just great. But even with all your due diligence and an army of attorneys and CPAs, there were secrets and potholes and landmines everywhere that you could not have known about until you were down in that crawl space yourself. And people are like that. Whole families. I can remember decades ago, about the time that I bought that first house of mine, a family joined our little Baptist church, and they were newcomers to town, and we were so happy to have them. They were up-and-comers, and the husband was a new hotshot executive at one of the textile mills, and the wife looked like she had just fallen off the cover of Southern Living Magazine. Two beautiful teenage girls, picket fence, cottage-style home in the good neighborhood. They were so perfect. It took us about two weeks to realize they were insane. We're about to hand him the keys to the budget committee and the building and grounds, and we find out he's an embezzler. She took more Percocets than Elvis. The girls, the teenage girls, were victims of all this and behaved accordingly. This shiny exterior, and behind it all, it's bad wiring and rusty plumbing. And that perfect boyfriend, you've met him, right? Yeah perfect storm after about six weeks, right? You meet the woman of your dreams, it turns into a thing of nightmares. It's human condition, you see. It is the human condition. We get broken on the inside. We get hurt deep, deep within. It is the natural result of living as highly sentinel beings sharply attuned to surviving our environment. We learn before we even are aware what it takes to please our parents, or we learn before we're even aware that it's actually impossible to please them. Then, how do I fit in with my siblings? Or, how do I negotiate the loneliness or narcissism of being an only child? And then there are divorces and step-parents and step-brothers and step-sisters. How do I manage all of this? School, religion, intimacy, peers, accomplishments, failures. The entire time, our inner mechanics are working and processing and evaluating, mostly unconsciously, as we are trying to please others and simultaneously find a little satisfaction for ourselves. And what happens? Our inner home gets neglected. 
wires get crossed and tangled, but we just do a workaround or upgrade the fuse rather than repair it. No one will ever know. Paint starts to peel, but I'm not going to let anyone see that part of me anyway, so I won't worry about it. The closets and the cabinets and every pull-out drawer fills up with junk. Cracks in our foundation, holes in our roof, leaks in our pipes, not all at once. It's a gradual breakdown of trying to survive. It is the passing of the years and the seasons. It is being born into this world, thrown into this world, as the doors sang. Well, I've got some good news today. God knows what's going on inside of you. And that's good news. I was taught this psalm differently. I was actually not taught it at all. I was preached at. And there's a difference between being taught or preached to and being preached at. When you're preached to or taught, you're actually engaged as a thinking person who can come to conclusions. When you're preached at, it usually involves heavy-handedness, what you ought to be doing, some finger-pointing, some woulds, some coulds, and shoulds. So we were preached at, told what we must do. We were sometimes humiliated. And the pastor of my youth might say this about the psalm, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord. You know all about me. You discover my thoughts. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. And that's the part the preacher would just get his teeth into like a dog with a bone. Like setting up a giant guilt machine, an assembly line of blame, a conveyor belt of shame. God knows all about you, you filthy sinner. God knows all your sinful thoughts. All the evil things that you daydream about. God knows what you've been doing and where you have been going. I can remember one Sunday the preacher telling us how one day we would all stand before God and individually God would replay our lives. One frame, one day, one thought at a time for all the angels and saints in heaven and hell and your sweet Aunt Frances to see it. All that secret's going to be brought into the open. Every stray thought, every hidden sin, every wrong motive, every bad word. I was terrified. I was ashamed. I was only 10 years old. I hadn't even had the opportunity or the time to even think very many bad things, much less actually get in on it. But that's not what David is saying here at all. David is writing these words with gratitude. With thanksgiving, acknowledging God's goodness and grace, not God's finger pointing and God's shame. Of course God knows what is deep within us, he is saying. Of course God knows our thoughts, our motivations. Of course God knows what we do and where we go and who we are. And God loves us anyway. It's like this. That old farmhouse there, oh, it's got great bones. They don't build them like that anymore. That's real sawmill lumber holding up those walls. 
And what a glorious history. You, you wouldn't believe it if I told you about it. So many family meals around that table in that house. Children playing in the yard. Grandchildren toddling about in the kitchen. Summer picnics in the field. Thousands of sunsets. Gallons of morning coffee on the porches. It has survived a fire. It survived a flood. It's been through a dozen hurricanes, hundreds of thunderstorms, and took the punch of who knows how many tornadoes, lightning strikes, and hard freezes. Yeah, it's a little run down. It's been neglected. Some of the electrical needs to be brought up to code. The roof could stand a few new shingles, to be sure. It needs paint in some places and new foundation pillars and others. And yes, I know that it would be easier to start something new, but I love this old house, and I'm going to see it renovated and remade into something beautiful. Now, imagine God looking down deep within you, knowing you're coming and going, knowing your thoughts, knowing your soul, knowing where you are in good shape and where you have neglected. Imagine God looking at you and your inner life, seeing you with the same affection and the skill of a master restinationist, one who likes hard cases, who loves a challenge, who wants to make you better and more beautiful within. Man, because that's what I believe. And I'm not talking about the Property Brothers or Chip and Joanna Gaines or some dream home makeover show. Those are staged for the screen, staged for entertainment with big bucks and bright lights. This is slow, grinding, dirty hands kind of work to put your heart and soul together properly there are starts and there are stops. There are great leaps forward and collapses into regression. There's blood, there's tears, there's sweat, there's cold, there's discouragement, there is joy. There are days of low and poor resources and there are seasons of abundance. But if you are willing, if we will hand over the front door keys, if we will surrender and patiently accept the plans of this most skilled contractor, we can be remade, we can be reworked, we can be renewed, we can be restored by the loving, caring hands of the God who knows us better than we know ourselves. 